Let's pray for the message today. Very encouraging morning, Lord. Thank you for worship. Thank you for the ways you've been working in our lives. And thank you for your word. What a treasure we have in the scriptures. That you would give us a book. It's your word that we can read and know it's true and trust and, and you fulfill it to the things you say there time after time. So Lord, we want to be submissive to your word. Teach us today. Help me to be in accord with your scriptures. Give me um, a heart full of love for you, for your word, for, for us, these people, and come and do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. A few months ago, um, maybe two months, three months, I forget exactly when it happened, but Dave Clark was up here, a worship leader, and, uh, and while he was leading worship, God gave him a spiritual gift. And I guess you could maybe call it a prophecy, or maybe um, a revelation, or maybe a word of knowledge or wisdom. Labeling it isn't, isn't all that important. But, but while he was leading worship, the thought that came into his mind, he had this impression that he was supposed to, after the service, ask Michelle Ramazina, who was up here singing a little earlier today, ask Michelle if she um, sang, number one, and number two, if she'd ever thought about being part of the, the worship team. And um, he didn't know if either of these were true, but he felt like this is what God wanted him to do after the service. So after the service, he went up to Michelle and he asked her those two questions. I hope I get all this right, but a little bit of details um, about Michelle is that Michelle loves to sing. And Michelle had loved being on the worship team at her home church in Illinois. Illinois, right? Yes, okay. And, uh, but when, when Michelle and Brandon moved out here, she sensed that God wanted her to surrender that love and that ministry to the Lord and give it to him and not seek it, um, not pursue it, but leave it in his hands so that if he wanted her to be involved in that area of ministry in the future, he would have someone else take the initiative and open those doors. So she surrendered this love and this ministry to the Lord and just waited and trusted week after week and month after month. But week after week and month after month, nothing happened. Until that Sunday, when the worship leader, Dave, walked up to her and said, I think God wants me to ask you if you enjoy singing. And have you ever thought about being on the worship team? Now, can you feel a little bit of, am I, am I right? Okay. Can you feel a little bit of what Michelle would have felt at that moment? I mean, the, the sense of, God, you are real. And you love me. And this was your call to lay this at your feet. And, and you've made it clear now that you are calling me to do this. This isn't about my ambition or my desire for anything else. This is your call to me. Did you see how powerfully that would have impacted her? Now that's one reason why we are passionately committed to pursuing spiritual gifts here at Mercy Hill Church. Because just through that story, and there's, there's dozens and dozens of stories like that that we've experienced here, and I trust there's going to be hundreds and thousands more in the years ahead. Spiritual gifts is a powerful way for God to build you up 
in your knowledge of his love for you, strengthen your trust in him. He reveals himself to people, lost people, saved people. Spiritual gifts is one of the ways that God lavishes his grace upon us. And that's why we're passionate about pursuing spiritual gifts here. So we're taking two weeks. Started last week, and then we're going to wrap it up this morning. Because we elders have sensed that our earnest desire for spiritual gifts has uh, been diminishing a little bit, and also maybe has become a little bit confused in terms of what exactly should be shared during that time. So I thought, let's let's take uh, two weeks and just want to go over again what spiritual gifts are and, 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 and then ask the Lord to stir up biblical knowledge and confidence and pursuit in our hearts. So let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And at the end of this time, I, I'm going to open up for some questions if we have time and then um, give, give us a chance to, to ask the Lord to come and bring spiritual gifts so we can be learning together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. If you need a Bible, yeah, go ahead and raise your hand. I'd like you all to be able to study these three chapters, 12, 13, 14. won't be reading them through, obviously, because of how long that would be, but I'll be picking out passages, I trust, in context, and you can see what Paul says about spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 14 is on page 960 in these Bibles that we're passing out. Paul wrote this letter of 1 Corinthians because uh, he had planted this church, but he had gotten reports back that this church was moving into some serious problems, errors in some of their practice and some of their theology, some of their doctrine. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to bring correction to these various areas. And you can, 1 Corinthians, he corrects topic after topic. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he corrects their abuses in the area of spiritual gifts. And the main thing he wants them to do is not to, not to pursue spiritual gifts as a way of, of you know, grandstanding, but as a way of loving. And you can see that right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Okay, so what Paul calls them to do, what Paul calls us to do is to pursue love. Followers of Jesus... Because of his work in our hearts, you turn to Jesus, you trust him for your salvation, for your forgiveness, for your future, for your meaning, for your security. You trust him. And when you trust Jesus Christ from the heart, he brings his power upon you. He pours his love into your hearts. He so satisfies you with who he is that you are filled and your heart is changed and you love other people. Everywhere you go, if you're a follower of Jesus, you want to help the people around you. You want to do good, meet their needs, bless them. How can you help them? That's what's in your heart. Pursue love. And Paul says one of the ways we we do that is by earnestly desiring spiritual gifts. Now, that word earnestly desire, strong word in the Greek, passion, fervency, uh, deep feeling, like, we're supposed to desire spiritual gifts, kind of like uh, Mike Singletary would desire beating the Vikings this afternoon, okay? Like, he just, he's on fire this morning, right? So that's, that's what should be in our hearts, earnest desire for spiritual gifts. So how, how much have you been desiring spiritual gifts is the question I posed last week. And I think, I mean, knowing my own heart and what I hear from us is that we all have obstacles that get in the way of us desiring spiritual gifts. So I just made a list of obstacles at least the ones I could think of, and uh, addressed half of them last week, and I want to f- do the rest of them this morning. So let's start with the obstacle of not being sure 
which gifts Paul had in mind. Okay, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. What does he have in mind? Like which ones? And Paul doesn't detail it in 14.1 because he gave us a list back in chapter 12. So go back to chapter 12. He lists spiritual gifts, verses 8, 9, and 10. Look at what he says. This is the, these are the gifts he wants us to earnestly desire. So if you're earnestly desiring gifts, these are an example of what he has in mind. This list is not exhaustive. They aren't all listed here. Lists overlap in the New Testament, but this will give you a feel of what he's talking about. Verse 8. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. Okay, now this wisdom and knowledge, I think there's two possible interpretations of, of this. And I don't think we have enough data to, to decide, and I don't think we really need to because both are biblical. Okay? One of them is, because Paul's already used the word wisdom previously in 1 Corinthians to describe the gospel. So one possibility is, this is knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which the Holy Spirit opens your heart to see and feel and love more. So sharing that with people, that, that's possible. Another possible meaning um, is supernaturally imparted wisdom and knowledge about a circumstance or situation, like what God gave Dave Clark about Michelle. Okay? Now, the Holy Spirit does both of those. Both of those are biblical. Both of those should be pursued. And I don't think we have enough data in the text to call it. I've read the commentaries. They're split about 50-50. And then, then actually a lot of them just say, you know, we really can't be sure. So I'll leave it to them to to make the final verdict on that. So that's utterance of wisdom, utterance of knowledge. Verse 9. To another, faith by the same Spirit. The gift of faith. We should earnestly desire, give me faith. Now this is not saving faith, which we're all called to have in trusting Jesus. We fight the fight of faith. We trust his promises. We don't wait for that. We trust him. Look at him. Look at who he is. What this is, it's... um, a spontaneous gift where the Holy Spirit gives you confidence, certainty, that God's going to do something. That you have no other reason for to think that he's going to do except that the Holy Spirit's given you the sense that he's going to do this. This is not positive thinking. This is not something we should try to stir up. This is a gift he gives to you where before you didn't know what he was going to do. Afterwards, God's going to do this. Just a little example from me, just this last Wednesday night, um, in home group, and we were taking some time to wait on the Lord, to, to seek him for spiritual gifts, and, uh, and I knew there was one woman there, and I, I, I know the struggle she's going through, and I've got compassion for her, and this thought came into my mind of something to say to her, but I, I kind of doubted that it was from God. I thought, you know, I know her situation, I've, I've got compassion for her, I'm probably just coming up with this on my own, just because I care about her. So I said, Lord, I'm just not sure this is from you. And all of a sudden, I just knew. You know how that goes? I just knew that this was from the Lord. And he wanted me to share it with her. And so I did. And she was encouraged. It's just a little example. I know many of you have experienced this. This is not positive thinking. This is not, I'm going to believe, I'm going to be confident, I'm going to be optimistic here. It's not what this is about. This is where the Holy Spirit gives you an unusual confidence in something you'd have no other reason to believe he's going to do except that he's given it to you. That's faith. Gifts of healing, verse 9. To another, gifts of healing by the one spirit. This is obvious. Somebody's sick, you pray, lay hands on them, God miraculously heals them. Okay? God loves to heal sick people. 
Uh, just to give it a little bit of some fine print there, the Bible does not teach that God always wants to heal people right now. The Bible does not teach that God always wants to heal people in this life. It's important to kind of lay some of this out. But at the same time, God always wants us to pray for healing and to leave the results in his hands. Okay? We believe in supernatural healing here at Mercy Hill Church, but we do not believe the Bible teaches that God will always heal if you just have enough faith. I think people mean well by giving that teaching, but I think it's harmful. It's harmful. And the Bible is very clear to me, and I hope you've seen this. I want you to study the Bible for yourself, not just take my word for it, that God does choose at times not to heal now, not to heal in this life, but he always heals ultimately. Everyone is trusting him, right? Okay. Amen. Verse 10. The working of miracles. Um, this is where the Holy Spirit gives you faith to pray or speak something that God does that's out of the ordinary. It's kind of my armchair definition of miracle, something out of the ordinary. And I thought of this example. I hadn't thought about this for a while. Um, my grandpa was preaching way back, this is probably 1940s maybe, in Soldier Stadium. Okay, there it is. Okay, if you can see that. Soldier Stadium in Chicago. And it started to rain hard. And I heard the story. He just stopped and he said, let's all pray that God would have the rain stop. And he prayed and the rain stopped. And then he kept preaching. Okay, it's like, wow. Anyway, that's, I would call that a miracle. That's a miracle. See, we should earnestly desire miracles. Right? 14.1, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts out of love. 1 Corinthians 12, miracles is a spiritual gift. We should earnestly desire miracles. Do you? Oh God, work miracles here. Are they rare? Well, yeah, kind of. But they're probably more rare than they ought to be because we don't desire them very often. Okay? I say we desire them. Galatians 3.5, Paul assumes that the whole Galatian church had experienced miracles and knew when God did them. You can read that verse on your own. Okay, keep going. Uh, verse 10. To another prophecy. You know, what is prophecy? Some, some people, godly, Jesus-loving, Bible-preaching people, um, believe that prophecy is the same as teaching. Um, I have not come to that conclusion. I would encourage you to study this on your own. But the reason I haven't is because prophecy and teaching are distinguished all through the New Testament. Remember Acts 13 in Antioch, right before Paul and Barnabas were sent out, there were gathered there prophets and teachers. Two different groups. Uh, the list of spiritual gifts in Romans 12. Prophecy is listed. Later on, teaching is listed. Different gifts. I don't think they're the same thing. I think they're, they're different. So what is prophecy? Well, Wayne Grudem has helped me. I think the clearest verse to define prophecy in the New Testament is um, in verse 29 and 30 of chapter 14. So turn there, chapter 14, verses 29 and 30. Study this more on your own. I want you all to be able to explain to somebody if they ask, what is the gift of prophecy? So you can say, well, if, if you're convinced by this, this is what you point to. Look at verse 29. Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. So is it biblical? Is this from the Lord? And then verse 30, he's still talking about 
prophets, he says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first, the first two, the first person of the prophecy, be silent. So verses 29 and 30 is talking about prophecy. He doesn't use the word prophecy in verse 30. Instead, he says, if a revelation is made to someone. So that's what prophecy is. Prophecy isn't where you share something that you've thought about for a while and, and then present it to the body. There's a place for that. That's, that's a wonderful way to bless the body. So don't stop doing that. But that's not prophecy. Prophecy is where a revelation comes to you spontaneously from God. It's something that the Holy Spirit has given to you. And then when you share it with others, the Holy Spirit builds them up. Okay, that's prophecy. Keep going. End of, uh, keep going in verse 10. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. This is where the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to discern um, whether the Holy Spirit's at work in a situation or whether a demonic spirit is at work in a situation. And sometimes it's obvious, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, if somebody says Jesus is accursed, you know that that's not the Holy Spirit. That's, that's, that's demonic spirits. But other times it's not as clear. And then the Holy Spirit gives you discernment. End of verse 10. To another, various kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. Okay, you know, tongues is a real controversial gift, as you, as you know. Um, some people teach that tongues is like the ultimate experience of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to tell you, I don't think that's true at all. I don't see any place in the Bible to back that up. The ultimate experience, the ultimate spiritual experience is knowing Jesus Christ. Okay? It's beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, 2 Corinthians 4. It's having God's love poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. Right? It's when you, John 6.35, you come to Jesus, you believe in him, and he satisfies your heart, hungers and thirsts with yourself. Tongues is not all about some spiritual experience. It's not what tongues is. And I want to stress that because the problem with believing that is that if you haven't been given the gift of tongues, then you think you're a permanently second-class Christian citizen, which the Bible doesn't teach. You've got everything, everything you need through the cross, you, through trusting Jesus alone. His grace is lavished upon you. So does that make sense? You can ask more questions about that later if you want to. Um, others teach that tongues is kind of the mark of those who are truly spirit-filled. The Bible never says that. It never says that. Um, others teach that uh, everybody can or should speak in tongues. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Elders here don't think that's what the Bible teaches. Let me show you why. Verses 29 and 30 of chapter 12. Study this more for yourself. But here's a list of questions. And in the Greek language... There's a word that you can put into a question so we know the author's telling us the answer is no. All right, so just read through this list of questions. Verse 29. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Notice, by the way, how he distinguishes prophets and teachers again there. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. Do all interpret? No. I don't think it could be more clear than that. You see that? Okay, so I want us at Mercy Hill Church to be able to say tongues is a valid gift that God is still using today, but not go to the extreme of saying it's the ultimate spiritual experience and everybody's supposed to and, and make it more than it's supposed to be, which is what the church at Corinth did. 
I also don't want us to overreact to that and say, let's just forget tongues because people mess it up too much. Is it possible to have a church which tries to go right down the middle biblically? Where we affirm tongues biblically for some. It's not the be-all and end-all. It's one of the gifts. It's a great gift, just like teaching is or prophecy is or administration or leadership or helps or faith, okay? So what is tongues then? All right, you're going to tell us what it was, Steve. What is it? Okay, it's when the Holy Spirit brings into your mind words whose meanings you don't know. He brings them into your mind. And then as you pray them privately in your heart to him, quietly, you get built up in faith. And there's times where the Holy Spirit stirs you to speak them out loud to others here. And when you do that, he will bring either you or somebody else the interpretation of what they mean. And people will be built up by by tongues. Why does God have the gift of tongues? I do not know. Uh, We've experienced it here maybe three or four times in the last five years, maybe. You know, it's it and I it's like, well that's not very often. Well, yeah, it's not, but one thing I love about that is that when God brings it, I know it's real. Because there's no expectation it's gotta be happening at every meeting like you have in some in some settings. So those are our convictions about tongues. So here's a list of gifts. Okay, you can ask more questions about them later. I'm going to move along here. But this is the kind of thing that Paul wants us to be earnestly desiring then. Okay, words of knowledge, utterance of wisdom, faith, miracles, healing, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues. Oh Lord, we desire these gifts. I love these people. I love Mercy Hill Church. Lord, bring me gifts so I can build them up. That's what Paul envisions us doing. Another obstacle is uh, not being sure that God still works through supernatural spiritual gifts. Okay, I mentioned this last week. I wanted to do it again um, just to bring it up one more time. Because there's godly, spirit-filled people, spirit-filled people who teach that spiritual gifts, supernatural spiritual gifts aren't, aren't happening anymore today. These are godly, spirit-filled people, Jesus-loving people. Okay? But my conclusion, conclusion of the elders here, is that God's word teaches that spiritual gifts, supernatural spiritual gifts, are still happening. And I mentioned uh, one reason is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, is that Paul says spiritual gifts will cease when Jesus returns. It's my understanding of that passage. I preached on that back in January. You can read it or listen to it online if you want. So one reason is 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Another reason is the one I shared last Sunday. In Acts 2, Peter quotes from Joel and says that in the last days period, God is pouring out his spirit upon all flesh and that that will often be accompanied by supernatural spiritual gifts. The last days period started with Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension and ends at the second coming. So if it's in the last days period, first coming, second coming, we're right in here somewhere. This is the time when he's pouring out his spirit upon people. And this is the time when he will frequently be bringing supernatural spiritual gifts. So that's now. Third reason, just I wanted to throw this out as another one. It's because of the purpose of supernatural spiritual gifts. Two purposes. One is mentioned in chapter 14, verse 12, where he says, So with yourselves, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. One purpose is to to build up God's people, Okay, second purpose, chapter 14, verse 24 and 25, 
I want to read the verses, but an unbeliever walks in, hears prophecy, is convicted of his sin, falls on his face, and saved. Okay? Meets Jesus that day. So, building up God's people and saving lost people, those are the purposes for supernatural spiritual gifts. Now, those are the exact same things that we are longing for and working for today, right? Building up God's people and saving lost people. So it just, doesn't it make sense on kind of an, an intuitive level that if that's our purpose now, just like it was back in AD 50 when Corinth was, was functioning, if that's our purpose now, and if supernatural spiritual gifts were helping people get built up and get saved back then, and if we want to see people get built up and saved now, doesn't it make sense that God would still be doing that now? So I just haven't seen any reason, biblically, to think that God isn't still using supernatural spiritual gifts. Maybe you want to ask some follow-up questions in a second about that. Another obstacle. Uh, not really being sure that this should happen in church. Like, if, if you've been raised or have had a background in a church where spiritual gifts weren't pursued like publicly in, in, in their gathering, and God leads people to do churches in different ways, and, um, and there's lots of ways that people can do church, but if you're uncomfortable with what we do here because of your background... Uh, that's going to be hard for you. It's like, ah, is this really right? I've never, you know, we've never done this in any church I've been at before. Well, let me share with you a scripture that um, has been significant in our thinking. It's chapter 14, verse 26. Because I think it's clear when you read 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 and other passages that in the New Testament church, they regularly gave place for the pursuit and the sharing of supernatural spiritual gifts. That's just what they did. And you can see it here. Chapter 14, verse 26. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So notice, Paul's talking about when you come together. Okay, that's, that's like Sunday morning, church, home group. That's, that's when believers gather together. When you come together. And notice that when we come together, each one has a crucial part to play. Did you notice that? Each one. I mean, there may be somebody sitting over on this side this morning, and somebody over here will receive a gift from the Holy Spirit that profoundly touches this person over here. And the ministry that God wanted to give them today was going to come through you receiving and sharing a spiritual gift. That's how the body of Christ works. So each one has a crucial part to play. I don't think that this list is like a formal order of service or is an exhaustive list, but the point is that, that each one of us are involved. And then notice that part of what each one of us are involved in is sharing supernatural spiritual gifts. Because at least the last three in that list are, are supernatural spiritual gifts. So I, I, think, I think it's clear from the book of 1 Corinthians that, that when believers gather, gather together, book of Acts, 1 Corinthians, and Galatia, Rome, there was place given in their gatherings for the sharing of supernatural spiritual gifts to build each other up. Does that make sense? I hope so. But you can ask more about that too. Another obstacle is uh, how can you be sure that a gift I've received is from God? And I think people have the idea that if it's from God, then like there's got to be a burning bush or uh, like there's got to be this Charlton Heston voice, you know, booming or something. 
I think the Bible describes it as much more uh, subtle than that. And look again at chapter 14, verse 30. There's not a lot of data biblically to explain the experience of, of receiving spiritual gifts. We know that the scriptures say the Bible is a criteria. Any, spirit, any so-called spiritual gift that contradicts the scripture is not a spiritual gift from the Holy Spirit. We know that clearly. But this is the one verse that talks about the experience of receiving. And, and again, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. Okay, so you receive a spiritual gift and what happens is you receive a revelation. That is, all of a sudden, there's something there inside of your thought, a verse, a picture that wasn't there before. Okay, It's not something you've been thinking about or mulling over in your mind this past week or have studied about. That's very good. That's important. You can share those things, but that's not what's going on here. Spiritual gifts means that then we, we come together and we wait on the Lord. We say, God, bring gifts to us now. And there will be times when a revelation is given to you. And something that wasn't there before, it's there. A verse. Something to pray. Uh, a word of encouragement. Maybe even somebody specifically that you're supposed to speak this to. Like what's happened to me Wednesday night. It wasn't just a, a general gift, but I was supposed to speak to this person. And say what God was saying to this person. I thought... Um, and and they, they confirmed it. So we wait on the Lord together. And then when when something comes into your mind, the way that you can tell it's probably from the Lord is because you've prayed, and because it's what's come into your mind is consistent with Scripture, and then as you share it, it's confirmed. Okay? So I would encourage you, when you share a spiritual gift, you don't need to say, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know. Well, no. That's a little presumptuous, okay? How about... I think maybe God's saying this. Oh, that, that doesn't it feel better? It'll feel better for you when you say it too. If, if that's the bar, we've got, I mean, no, no, no. Because that's, that's like Old Testament prophet, New Testament apostle. They do the thus saith the Lord thing, okay? We do, I think maybe this is what God's saying, all right? And then you can weigh, and you can pray, and you can hold it up before the Lord. So that's my encouragement. Th- that's how you can tell a gift is from God. It's like, well, that's not really very clear. Well, when you hear somebody say, that's exactly from God for me, that will really help you. That will encourage you. Okay, that'll confirm. That's how it came. That was from God, and you'll learn more for next time. All right? Let me just throw in one other obstacle. It's not in your notes, but I think an obstacle that keeps us from desiring gifts is we're afraid that we might get one. And then we'll have to, then we'll have to share it, you know. Right? I, I would guess some of you it's just like, <laughs> not today, not today. Listen, listen, church. Um, have any of you ever received a spiritual gift and shared it and you wished you wouldn't have shared it? I hope not. That was my point, is that because for myself, I have never regretted taking the risk and sharing a spiritual gift. And um, never. And just between me and the Lord, I've, I've tried to say, Lord, I don't want to quench your spirit. And so anything I think is from you, if it's consistent with scripture, I'll, I'll share it. Give me grace to do that, because there's been times where I, I've, I've very much not wanted to. Especially if it's like a word of tongues or something. It's like, oh man, people are going to leave. You know, it's weird. Anyway, so we're all afraid. 
But here's, I think, the best thing I could tell you for this. Jesus Christ loves you with cross-suffering love. That's all you need to know. (laughs) You're loved with God, a God of cross-suffering love. So just chill, okay? And just say, I think maybe God's saying this. And um, if you want to correct me on it, go ahead. Or, you know, whatever. I mean, but just go ahead. Because God will honor that. And you will have times where somebody will walk up to you and say, you do not know what that did for me. And you'll be so encouraged. So please, don't let fear get in the way. What if Dave wouldn't have talked to Michelle out of just like, oh, that's kind of nuts. That's, what if she, I mean, I don't want to offend her, right? Think of what would have been lost through that. Dave's a dude. He shared with her. Right on. Okay. So here's how we're going to pursue spiritual gifts at Mercy Hill. I would encourage you to take time Saturday night or Sunday or before your home group and pray for God, pour out your spirit upon me and upon us. We long for gifts. I mean, pray for other things. Pray for the preaching. Pray for the worship. Pray for the home group leader. Pray for the body. But make this one of the things that you pray for. And then, say, Sunday mornings, when we take time here, usually at the end of worship, to wait on the Lord for spiritual gifts, ask the Lord there to to bring you a spiritual gift. Now, again, this is not the time to think of something that you could share. Well, what could I share right now? That's for the sharing time. That's later, okay? Spiritual gifts time is for us to say, Lord, is there anything that you want to say to me right now, like by way of a revelation? Something by way of faith, word of knowledge, prophecy, if that's what word of knowledge is, um, tongue interpretation, whatever it might be. And so we're waiting on the Lord, okay? And like I said last week, silence is a good thing. And if nobody comes up with anything on any Sunday, that's okay. See, we've done our part, right? That's a big win, We've done our part. I'm not nervous thinking, please, 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 somebody say something, anything. You know, it's not in my heart at all. Just we're before the Lord. So don't, don't try to come up with something to make me happy, but just wait on the Lord and share what he, what he gives to you. If it's consistent with God's word and it's come, then go ahead and share it. And same with home group. As you, as you take time in your home group to wait on the Lord for spiritual gifts, if and when the Lord brings something into your mind and your heart, if it's consistent with the scripture, then say, I think maybe God's saying this or wants me to share this. Same with when you're in line at Mervyn's, okay, or at work. You can say, Lord, is there something that you want to get to me for this person here in front of me in line? The Lord will do that at times. And you may have something to say that totally just unlocks their heart and brings them to the Lord. God can do that. Okay, so earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Don't be afraid. That's how we're going to pursue it. Okay, let's see. What are some questions this has raised? Let me just throw out a couple thoughts. I'm so glad you asked that question, um, because that would be an obstacle too, obviously, for women, if you misunderstand that passage. Look back at chapter 11, first of all. um, Verse 5, Paul talks about a wife or women who pray or prophesy, and this is in church, with their head uncovered. And we're not going to talk right now about what that means. The only point I want to make is that three chapters earlier, Paul talks about women in the church gathering praying and prophesying. See that? This is in church. Women pray and prophesy. So 
as I thought about that, it makes it clear that in chapter 14, Paul is not talking about women not saying anything audibly, vocally in the church, since back in chapter 11, he totally affirms women praying publicly in the church, like Michelle did this morning, okay, or prophesying publicly in the church, which some of you may receive a, a gift of prophecy to share with us. So what's he saying then in chapter 14, verse 34 and 35? I've been persuaded by Wayne Grudem that what he's talking about here is an authoritative declaration of, what the, of, of whether a prof, prophecy that's been given is valid, whether it's from God. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a taking of authority and an expression of authority. I'm, I'm complementarian. Um, I mean, that's kind of a theological buzzword maybe. But the point is, I think the Bible teaches that there's different roles between men and women. women men and women are equal, equally valued, loved by God, saved by God, honored by God, delighted in by God. But in marriage and church, there's different roles. Men are called to servant leadership. Women are called to uh, responsive followership, if you want to put it that way. And so to take the position of making a declaration to the church, this is from God, we've got to follow this, this is from God, that would not be an appropriate stance for a woman to take to the church. I think that's what Paul's dealing with in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 14. So, you want to, you want to follow up to that? So if you, uh, then there's the issue of questions. Why should she ask questions at home? As best I've been able to kind of get, get into what, what's, what situations Paul addressing is, I could envision a prophecy being shared and then somebody standing up and saying, by means of a question, well, if that's true, then da 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 which is a veiled pronouncement against that prophecy in the form of a question. Mm, ask your questions at home. That maybe is what's going on here. What I rest in is chapter 11, women can pray and prophesy publicly in church. Um, so that can't be what Paul's, so Paul can't be saying women don't let any word be heard from your mouth in the service. And then linking that with what Paul says in 1 Timothy 2.10 about women teaching or exercising authority over men in the church setting. That's my conclusion. Okay, we can follow up later if you want to. Good question. Let me rephrase it this way, see if I see if I'm tracking it. In Acts chapter two, it's clear that the words that are coming into their to the church's mind, the believers' minds that they don't understand, are foreign languages that they've never learned. It's clear that they're foreign languages, like Swahili or or you know, Uyghur or whatever it might be. But in 1 Corinthians twelve through fourteen, it's clear that that's not what tongues are. And it's a strange thing, right? And so his question is, how do you like reconcile them? And, and I just, I kind of punt. I just say, well, I guess, I guess God can bring words into your mind. And sometimes they're foreign languages. No, and sometimes they're not. Um, I'll just go with whatever he does as long as I'm prayerful and nothing unbiblical is happening. And again, if, it's, if he gives me the sense that it should be spoken publicly, then I'll do that. And I've heard of stories, maybe you have too, where missionaries... Where it was, it was the exact language of somebody in the room, and they were saved through that process. God could do that, but if that's not the case, then it needs to be interpreted, and there will be a gift for that. So that's really the best I can do. For Acts two is foreign languages. First Corinthians twelve through fourteen seems to not be, and so I just say, well, I guess both could be called tongues. And what they have in common is words come into my mind whose meaning I don't know, and He asks me to speak them. Because you've never received a spiritual gift. Okay, and I'm sure many 
would raise the same thing. But see, brother, you're, you're, you're asking the Lord and you're praying and you're sharing whatever he gives, which, which hasn't been anything yet. And you're just, you're like right up there with him. Okay. You're like, you're like right in the front row. With, I mean, so if you don't get a gift and you're asking the Lord, I, I'm sure that Satan can beat you up over that, beat it, beat all of us up over that, right? It's like, well, it's because of like, you know, you're just kind of a fourth class Christian. But see, you're asking the Lord and you're waiting. Like we talked about last week, the root word for gift in the Greek language is grace. Anybody who gets a gift, it's grace. It's never because we've been particularly worthy of anything. We're totally all not worthy of anything good. Truth be known, but God lavishes his grace upon us. So you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Before the Lord, asking him, waiting. Okay? So do do you see how this can be happening in home groups. This can be happening as you're just praying for your home group people. Maybe tomorrow afternoon you're going to pray for them, take five minutes and pray. Or, But God can bring you gifts that are so encouraging to your brothers and sisters and that build them up and that strengthen them. So earnestly desire the spiritual gift. See, this isn't something that's optional because this is a command given by the Apostle Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So he calls us to do this. And so what's at stake here, the reason we want to pursue this is we get built up, lost people are saved, and Jesus is glorified. So let's pursue biblically, thoughtfully, wisely, let's pursue earnestly spiritual gifts. That's what I call us to do. Okay, let's pray together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you've set the church up so that each of us are essential for the proper working of the whole. Thank you that you bring gifts to us in your graciousness and your love so that we can, can benefit others. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen us in this. I pray that you'd pour out more of your giftings upon us. It's not the only thing we pray for, but we do pray for this, Lord. Would you pour out your giftings upon us? so that we can be strengthened, so that our home groups can be established, so that people in our neighborhoods, workplaces, shopping centers can be saved. We pray that you would do this, Lord, for the glory of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.